Travis Scott and McDonald's Partnership. USPS problems threaten indies. Visas skyrocket for artists. That showbiz, baby. Welcome to episode 15 of That Showbiz Baby Podcast, your all things music business and media podcast. I'm your host, Joe, with my co-host, Colin. Hello, Joe. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm Right now, I'm staring at the back of your head. Cordially. Looking- <laughs> I don't know. I have my, I'm going to keep it very formal for this podcast. Oh, okay. Uh, it's going to be very dainty and eloquent. <laughs> well, <laughs> our eloquency also goes to our socials. So our socials are Twitter at Showbiz Baby Pod, Facebook and Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast and email us at that showbiz baby podcast at gmail.com with all your questions concerns and topic suggestions um yeah so i've already dropped the eloquence so we're doing really well today yeah i i, I don't know i felt like you needed a top hat i know to, that's what i need it's very i need kid. as many visual <laughs> gags on an audio only podcast as possible 100 <laughs> percent um well a lot of things happening this week uh and what honestly the last couple of weeks i mean COVID is on everyone's minds, but uh, especially now the USPS um, and how it's affecting indie labels. So uh, in an article by Rolling Stone, uh, indie labels have been taking hit after hit during this pandemic and now the uh, the election cycle as well. Many indies have been struggling to get physical orders out to fans due to many of the precautions in place due to the surging pandemic, as well as President Trump's refusal to provide funding to the U.S. Postal Service. Because of lack of funding, many physical items have been extremely slow to deliver, as well as getting lost in the mayhem. So why are orders so backed up? So there's a couple of reasons. Uh, One of the main reasons is that postal services are attempting to cut costs by removing uh, mail sorting machines, which means that the mail is showing up later and later, being as they're the main component of sorting the mail. So, claims have also come out that Postmaster Louis DeJoy instructed carriers to prioritize Amazon packages, then priority mail, then everything else, due to Amazon being a high-paying client, which is interesting being as Amazon also has their own mail service that's privatized. So, the USPS is also not prioritizing their media mail option, which many indie labels use as a most cost-efficient way to ship records around the U.S. and abroad. So what does this mean for indies? So it means that fans can't get their orders on time, which impacts the income of the indie labels, which many of them desperately needed even pre-pandemic. So many of the indie labels are very small scale and they don't have a lot of backup or infrastructure in place when business slows or a pandemic ruins their plans. So when they don't have any sales coming to them, like coming through or orders being fulfilled, they have a lot of back order, all that stuff comes through and then they can't get the money that they need to basically run. Um, it's also apparently there's a lot of stories uh, we'll link the full article in the bio. It's really interesting. They interview a bunch of uh, different labels. Uh, a lot of them, many of you have, have actually probably heard of, um, like Fat Possum and, uh, and Sub Pop and all of them. But um, they talk about how, you know, there, there, there was a surge in vinyl sales at the beginning of the pandemic, but um, they were worried about like getting workers to come in and fulfill it because of the pandemic. They didn't want to get their workers sick and everything. So it's just, there's a lot of factors going in play um, with these indie labels and how they're, they're able to get their distribution together. So according to Rolling Stone, 
Um, Indies who use the USPS are having issues with on-time delivery, while those using private companies like UPS and FedEx do not report similar problems. So, of course, the private companies are able to get their orders fulfilled quicker and easier, but the problem with being an indie label is you might not have the money to pay for those. Versus the USPS. Exactly, yeah. Yeah. So um, if you don't have the money or infrastructure to do that, or the deals, because a lot of them have private deals with these companies, um, then you just aren't going to be able to do it, you know? Yeah. Um, So just to show how much of these companies rely on these sales, Patrick Addison from Fat Possum Records stated that we shipped over 4,000 records in one week to individual customers, and we sure as hell want to make sure that our customers receive them in a timely manner. Manner. So that's 4,000 in one week. But imagine doing that every week, <laughs> you know? Yeah. So that's crazy. Um, so it shows that, like, you know, politics aside, um, politics actually to the forefront, it matters, even the music industry, you know? These world events and stuff, it yeah. impacts every level of the music industry and how things are run. Well, you know, I think a lot of people right now are specifically focusing more on, you know, the mail and voting and stuff like that. But I think like this part, especially the private business part is being a little overlooked in terms of, I mean, the mails, like everyone's like the mail's going to be backed up. And then I feel like a lot of people's thing is like, so the election's going to be really bad, which is probably true. But like, it's just more of like, people are kind of not taking it one point at a time. And it's like the mail's really backed up. Who could this also affect? And yeah. these are the people that this is affecting. Yeah. hundred percent. And I mean, just small businesses in general. Right. So it's not I just mean, indie labels. It's just businesses. I'm in sure general. if you're, you know, on one of these, uh, if you're part of the big three or you're, you know, running through a big three distributor, um, they're going to have these private deals with USPS and, I mean, with UPS and FedEx, you know, yeah, and it's probably going to be more privatized and they'll probably give them a lower rate and stuff because of the bulk shipping that these distribution things that work for the big three and a lot of indie labels that use the big three distribution chains use. Mm-hmm. But on the front of like, if you're just a very small indie label and like you're not, you're completely indie is what they call it. And you don't use any of the distribution of the big three, then you got to save as much money as you can. And the USPS is your only option in comparison to UPS and a FedEx. Yeah. So in the, in the media mail uh, option, which is basically unused by anybody else, it seems like, yeah. you know, so I mean, and there's no way of like, I guess maybe there could be some way they could figure out or pri- you know try to prioritize maybe it's like well this customer generally buys a lot of vinyl maybe we'll pay the extra money and send it through FedEx or something but at the same time it's like uh I don't know it's so so risky and I'm sure a lot of that might be you know in sites and stuff sometimes it's on the user's end which one they want to choose in the USPS yeah, is so they, much cheaper they actually uh, some of the labels have actually stated that they uh subpop uh, wanted people to choose the USPS one to support the USPS, mm-hmm. um, which some labels are doing as well. But I think a lot of labels too secretly kind of want you to choose a private one because they just want to get the orders fulfilled. You know, right. I mean, especially if it's just like you're you're down to the wire on like paying your bills and paying your expenses. Like you need to get that income in. You know, so. 
Yeah, I mean, it's like one of those things. It's a sticky situation. I mean, you're getting, and this is kind of what the COVID pandemic has really shown in a lot of ways, is that you're seeing a lot of these people that already had, you know, big companies that already had giant deals in place be able to weather it. And, you know, they're cutting costs and cutting people on their side. But, you know, these indie labels and, you know, live to mail to like literally everything, they can't cut anymore. They've already been going on razor thin. Yeah. So you could see some more. pre-pandemic too. You know, right. So, so is, you could see some more, you know, l- loss of those independent labels and stuff like that, as opposed to, you know, uh, having an ecosystem where, oh, wow, there is actually a bunch of indie labels that could just slowly start dying because people are like, why am I going to buy this from this person where I can just, you know, I'll just go buy a bigger artist stuff that's on a bigger label and just support them directly. Yeah. Know? I mean, also, too, it, it shows how few people work at these indie labels, you know, or labels in general, honestly, even the big three, like they're, you know, you have a lot of people in the big three, but certain departments, uh, only have a couple main people that deal with stuff. Right. I mean, especially I would imagine in like shipping and, you know, what used to be production. Yeah. I'm sure that was very streamlined and everything. So like once you, once it's streamlined, then like you don't need a thousand, because you have to think about it like this. I mean, like every band's got a manager and every manager knows the band's agent and all this kind of stuff. You know, that's a lot of different people adding up, but then it could be like, Oh, this one, you know, team of 50 to 80 people, I'll do the, you know, shipping and manufacturing of these records for this record company mm-hmm. and everybody's record goes through here, you know? Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's definitely, I think sheds a light on necessarily like, Oh, this is what's happening in the now as opposed to the future, you know? And like, as opposed, because I, again, I feel like a lot of people with the mail thing are like, Oh, it's going to mess up the election, which I'm not saying it won't because I totally believe it will. It's just more of like, yeah, there's already people getting hurt by this right now. If you don't know. Um, yeah. And it's businesses, it's small businesses, uh, around the country. But I think too, what's going to be interesting is post COVID, um, you know, is, is, is the USPS going to survive this? Uh, there have been times before, where the USPS has been very, very, very close to, you know, closing down. Right. Because I mean, they just haven't gotten enough. It's been like about 40 or 50 years of literally going, oh, we should privatize mail because, you know, like FedEx and UPS and all these things do it so well. But, you know, there's some important legal things that only the Postal Service can do, you know, as yeah. opposed to the UPS and FedEx and stuff. And so that's still always been an issue. And then it just... it. I mean, not to get political on this podcast, it just seems like one of those things where it's like, okay, we can have this discussion about privatizing the mail, but does anybody think this is a little coincidental? This is happening right now when we really need the mail, you know, to do these, you know, cause like they, we can't trust UPS and FedEx because they're not a government institution to do our voting. Yeah. So like, hey, well, yeah, it comes down to the voting stuff. Right. But. So like what I'm saying is like, you know, Obviously, this is all backed up, but like it's one of those things where, you know, when the world starts really getting hit by like issues when it comes to specifically COVID 19, but literally like any disaster. Uh, you you start to see like the actual things slip through the cracks and like where the real problems are in certain institutions and the postal service is just showing its true colors that it's been dealing with for a while but now it's just overwhelmed with again like they were saying all these amazon packages and all these people were buying merch yeah too i mean uh we we discussed this off mic a little bit but um in terms of 
uh, you know, a lot of people want to support the USPS and uh, they're doing that by shipping more items through it and stuff. And that does generate more income. But it what it also does as well is, is it kind of clogs up the the thing for everything else too. Right. You know, so it's, it prioritizing is super important when it comes to the mail. And that's why those sorting machines are so important to have because without them, you're hand sorting and (laughs) And that's going to take days. I mean, that's a very objective. I mean, it's like one of those things where it's, it's a very objective job, you know, so a robot can handle it pretty well. Um, And the thing that happens on the music side for this is that, like I'm saying, it's just like, Oh, this took like eight days to order. You know, and it said it was going to be here in two days, then I'm probably not going to order from this place again. Yeah. Well, some of these labels are saying, you know, international orders are are taking months. They're taking like three months to get to. So like uh, that sucks because me and Joe were talking about this one artist that I want to buy merch from (laughs) really badly. But (laughs) yeah, uh, it's going to take a minute. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, oh, well, maybe that's not going to happen. But yeah, uh, so I would support your postal workers but do it in a smart way, in my opinion. Uh, you know, just don't be, I mean, there's people that, you know, these guys are working really hard out there and they're trying their best and they're understaffed. So, you know, give them a break if sometimes the mail comes a little short, but at the same time, it's like, hold these people accountable because they are in charge of your mail and very important things that are going to come up in the election and other, you know, legal documents that have to go through the United States postal service. Yeah. So, yeah, it's it's a sad story, and here's another sad story. We're just gonna get real sad, and then we're gonna get really meme transition. Uh, yeah, I know. We're gonna get really sad, and then we're gonna go into a bunch of meme stuff, which I think is like the greatest paradigm for 2020 ever. Is really sad and a bunch of meme stuff. So, two back to sad. Live Nation discrimination case moved to binding arbitration. This is by Billboard. Uh, I picked this one because I think this is a really good example of binding arbitration. And we can talk and I kind of get some more definitions and why it sucks later. But the point is, if you want a short synopsis of it, is that binding arbitration really blows. If you have the option somehow to get out of it, don't do it. But here's the story. In July of this year, 38-year-old Candace Newman moved to sue her employer, which is Live Nation, after being furloughed as she claims for, quote, complaining about a lack of diversity and alleged race discrimination. Newman identifies as an African-American single mother and alleges, quote, she was continually undervalued and undercompensated and learned she was being paid between one third to 40% less than her non-black and or male peers at the company. She was a touring executive for Live Nation and most recently was tour director of North America. (laughs) Yeah, so this isn't like a random person. Yeah, this is like AAA level. Right. Newman was one of more than 200 or 2,000, 200,000 would be catastrophic, 2,000 employees affected by job cuts at the company where she had worked for more than 10 years. Live Nation stated on the matter that the claims against them were, quote, completely unfounded and further denied that Newman was, quote, furloughed out of retaliation. So, quote from Billboard, Live Nation later produced a letter Newman had signed in 2009 agreeing to arbitrate, quote, any and all claims of controversies controversies between Newman and Live Nation relating in a matter to my employment or the termination of my employment. The my is Newman. So Newman then agreed in court to follow the proceedings of arbitration. But as Billboard points out, this was likely done as Live Nation probably would have just filed a motion to have the case moved to arbitration in in accordance with the 2009 letter if Newman didn't agree. Um, So, yeah, 
so here's here's the thing. If you don't know what arbitration is, an arbitration is basically like a privatized judge. And a lot of courts prefer this because, it, you know, the court system is very backed up. So that if you can do arbitration, most of the time the court will be like, you need to do that because it's going to save a lot on resources for the government. Yeah. So the arbitration is like a privatized judge and he or she gives like the ultimate decision on how a disagreement between two parties will be settled. Uh, a lot of people end up signing into binding arbitration in their employment agreements, just as Newman did. And then obviously binding means you have to do it, which is like what exactly Live Nation is doing right here is they're saying you have to do this instead of going to court. If you're wondering why a lot of this is in, you know, contracts and stuff like that for many employee agreements, it's because binding arbitrations really are not very good for employees. So I'm going to give you like, and there's a a link I put that kind of details this more, but here's like a quick synopsis about binding arbitration and why it's really hard for employees. So one, it's more money to do arbitration because the arbiter, unlike the government, like judge has to get paid in that agreement, just like as your lawyer does. So a lot of times if you lose arbitration, you have to pay the arbiter's costs and they can be like 50 to a hundred thousand dollars. Uh, so two, an arbiter usually favors companies because of the repeat business. So like, obviously if you're an employee, like let's say I'm Newman in this case and you're against live nation, the arbiter has kind of a, advantage here to favor live nation because live nation has this agreement with hundreds of thousands of employees, but you know, you might probably this arbiter is only going to deal with Newman once. So there's kind of a, you know, power imbalance there. Three, it's extremely difficult to appeal anything with the arbitration and rare to be even able to do it just because it's very, uh, it's not like a court system. It's not as documented as well. And the other thing I'll get to later is it's a lot more confidential. Um, and I'll go right into the confidentiality. Basically, most of the time it's closed and it's very hard to even get it in the public. And a lot of it is sealed. So you can't even, a lot of times these, you know, big cases like this of, you know, uh, racial discrimination or sexual discrimination is very terrible PR for these companies. So like, at least if you're suing them, you have that kind of like, uh, leverage against them to be like, Oh, you can make this go away if we settle in a positive way for me. Mm-hmm. But since it's all confidential, like we, we will probably never hear anything about this again. Like, you know, and yeah. that's so usual in the industry, but this is the reason why it's because of the arbitration. Uh, then the arbitrator can also do crazy stuff with evidence, which I did not know about because they can determine what kind of evidence is admissible and like what kind of evidence can even be used. There's even one they were talking about in the case where the guy arbiter in this one case uh, basically wouldn't even allow witnesses to be used in the arbitration, which like, let's talk about Newman's case here. If you're going to need evidence, obviously that you were treated, you know, worse because of being, you know, an African American and a mother. So like, who's going to tell that your employee or your other coworkers going to tell them, Oh, this happened. But like literally arbiters can go, nah, we're just not going to do that again because they want to favor the companies. Oh. And then also, even if you get through this whole thing, most of the time you win less money with an arbiter. (laughs) So like you go through all this, like you are an uphill battle and most of the time you will make less money than it was in court. And it has to deal a lot with like the arbiter obviously favoring the company, but then also you not having the leverage of the PR. So yeah, yeah, uh, it's a mess. Um, well, it sounds like 
there's literally no plus side to if you're uh, an employee. So, so the, why even the plus side is that I guess and this is like my pure devil's advocate. I even I haven't even thought about a plus side. Is like maybe it could be quicker <laughs> than the court system. Yeah. But other than that, like I no, you know what I mean. It's very hard to you know show anything like the binding arbitration is literally me and Joe back in college were in a uh, contract class. And one of the attorney who taught that class taught us like one of the first days, do not get into binding arbitration, no matter what you do. (laughs) And the problem here is there's a precedent in a lot of these contracts for employees that like you have to sign in a binding arbitration just to work there. Yeah. Usually it's not an optional thing. Like usually in your like, you know, big, you know, legal contract that you just sign, you know, when you get a job, it it says like you are forced into binding arbitration for anything. That's like a disagreement. Mm -hmm. So yeah, that's a little lesson in binding arbitration. If you're curious about it, I'm going to link an article that kind of goes into more depth about it. Um, But yeah, I think that specifically if we go back to Newman's case, it's going to be very interesting because I was thinking if it was even in a court of law, there could be some issues in her case. I obviously don't have the evidence and we probably never will because it's going to go into arbitration and we'll never see it again. But, uh, like she was fired at the, or furloughed at the same time that 2000 other employees were furloughed. So I feel like live nation is probably just going to make the argument where it's like, well, we just cut you because of the money. But at the same time, I don't know all the issues and like me and Joe were kind of saying is like she was a touring executive and she was the tour director of North America, which is a very high. Yeah, that's a high position. High so position. That's a, so like if that's a surprising one to cut. Right. So like I get it. There's not much touring in America right now because of the COVID stuff. But like I don't know what the America's situation is still one of the top. It's still touring. Yeah. You like know, markets. you still need a person there. You know, there's still people going to shows, even though it's so few compared to what it was before minuscule. So like my thing is right now, just from what I've read, I really think uh, she she's probably in the right. And I bet you there's a bunch of executives there that are still working. And she was like the one executive that got furloughed. <laughs> Yeah. You know what I mean? With the other group. Well, yeah, with the other group. And then that was their scapegoat is they're just going to be like, if they went into court, they would just be like, well, we just furloughed you because we had to save the money, mm-hmm. you know? Um, but we'll never hear from it again. Thanks to binding arbitration. <laughs> I swear. But yeah, if there's any way in your job or your future that you can get out of binding arbitration, do it. That's my advice for this podcast today yeah 100 um, percent. i mean what's interesting too is it just seems like you know it's always going to benefit whoever the biggest pockets are you know yeah in I terms mean, of just like they get to choose the person they get to you know the like i i think it's weird that okay i'll like, give the you payment this. thing is I w- weird i will say this there is kind of like a lawyer but i i used to have a professor who was an arbiter um and he basically said that there is kind of a, you know, uh, Hippocratic kind of like duty when you're like an arbiter to be fair and just and all this stuff. You know what I mean? Kind of like a lawyer does. Yeah. But at but the I same mean, time, if you're getting paid all this money, right? as long <laughs> as they can't prove, as long as you, in my opinion, as long as you don't go in there and you're like, I'm favoring the employee because, or the employer, because he keeps hiring me as like your first thing you say as the arbiter walking in, you're pretty much fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just going to sway the decisions towards the employer. And as long as you don't say anything crazy and crass like that, then like, 
you're not going to lose your arbiter status and you're not going to get sued and the thing's not going to get appealed. It's mm-hmm. just never going to get heard of again. And you know, that's pretty much what it is. There was also an, an example in there where sometimes they'll just for the sake of time, what we'll is like down and dirty it. So like basically some, you know, somebody will be suing a company and it'll be like, we want $10,000. And the company was like, we don't want to give you any money. And the arbiter will be like, give him $5,000 boom like and at the same and that's kind of like where that lower cost thing also comes into play like i was saying where you get less money for the arbiter sometimes they try to just save the company time and money so they just do really niche things like that and just go really fast and go okay well here here's half take it bye you know yeah um yeah uh money 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 is apparently the thing of this podcast yeah i Uh, mean (laughs) And now fees, fees, fees for the <laughs> for the touring artists. So um, if you guys didn't know, um, there's actually still touring artists trying to come into America, which is surprising because it seems like the rest of the world doesn't really want much to do with us at the moment. But uh, according to NPR and Live for Live Music, um, artists who are attempting to tour in the U.S. are facing an increase in visa fees of around 50%. So U.S. Citizenship, Immigration Services, and the Department of Homeland Security announced this change to the O and P visas, which cover individual artists and groups and allow them to work for a period of time in the U.S. So O visas are individuals with extraordinary ability or achievement, and the increase uh, to get an O visa went from $460 to $705, which is a 53% increase. And P visas, which covers the groups or culturally unique artists, which I'm kind of just like, some of these I'm like, I, I wonder what the specifications are, you know, to it what, sounds like what does I'm, culturally unique mean? It sounds like I'm reading like, you know, like how the constitution talks about people. Yeah, I We're, think I think it stems a bit from that, but it, it's it's strange. But anyways, they increased from four hundred and sixty to six hundred and ninety five. So uh, So go in a group is increase. like what it, <laughs> it seems yeah, like. Yeah, I right guess now. it's cheaper to go for a group, but um Waiting times uh, will increase also by 15 business days, but they do offer a fast pass for $1,000. Does that include uh, for like Space Mountain and like the Haunted Mansion too? (laughs) Yeah, you also get cotton candy with that (laughs) and and everything else. But uh, the agency stated that it conducted a comprehensive biannual fee review and determined that current fees do not recover the full cost of providing adjunction and naturalization services which is a fancy way of saying they can't afford shit right now so they're (laughs) trying they're trying to get more money out of you so less people coming in equals less money for them so that's what they're trying to do with the less amount of people coming in they're trying to charge them more money essentially okay that makes Um, sense so this is a this is where a workaround actually kicked into place uh with the visa waiver program or ESTA, which allowed uh, people as a non-working tourist, um, which was used by artists to attend non-paid industry events, such as South by Southwest and like other things. If you're like playing for, um, Prom- if you're doing like a showcase or something like that, you know. Oh, so you could just be like, I'm here as like a tourist and I'm not making money, and then it would yeah, be like, Here's but the you're going to visa. you're going to WME and playing for them, right? You know, you're not getting something. a monetary value specifically. You're getting like more of a monetary value and exposure, exactly, and like or like or possibly getting signed eventually. You know, you okay. never know. But um, it's basically it's before you're making money. 
Um, so, however, this is now being cracked down by Homeland Security. Damn, those <laughs> so, narcs. Yeah, so they're, uh, they're not so thrilled about um, that workaround. Um, so why does this affect artists so much? So the visa process has become so tedious and confusing that many artists have to hire lawyers in order to process these forms correctly, which increases not only the legal fees for the artists wanting to work in the U.S., uh, it increases the fee of the thing itself. So also, who's to say that immigration won't continue to enforce this increase once COVID is over as well? So it really depends on the administration at the time. So and they might just keep it up like this. I'm an expert because I've watched one season of 90 Day Fiance in visas. Uh, okay. but <laughs> no, I'm not really. Is that going to be on your LinkedIn? Yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> under skills. Um, but basically, yeah, I mean, that's an, a crazy increase, especially if you're, you know, a smaller level artist and now it costs literally 50% more to just go to the country. You know, that's like, you know, if you're getting, if you're going there and you're doing $200 shows or something like that, $300 shows, and you're just trying to build your brand or whatever. Yeah. These price increases, you need like two more shows to just deal with. Yeah, you know? exactly. Um, so like, it's just one of those things where I, it, it's going to be really rough for these like international artists who want to come into the American market. And obviously, I mean, there's a lot of people that want to break into the American market. So like, yeah. And that doesn't just mean like people coming from Europe or, you know, wherever it means South America, Mexico, it means Canada. It means anybody what outside other of regions the of the world. Can we name <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, this but, is a geography? Lesson. Right. Uh, but like, yeah, I mean, it's just an extreme increase. First off, like, I, I just get a bad taste in my mouth with this fast pass nonsense. Oh yeah, I I there was a red flag going off. For I me was as just well. like, okay, you gotta wait 15 days. Okay, I get it. In society, generally, or we value people thousand dollars. We generally go for people. You know, we generally in our society try to get people to plan stuff ahead and stuff like that. But like, literally, if somebody, you know. I imagine if a festival had a booking or something last minute and like mid tier small and they're like, Hey, this guy dropped. Can you, do you guys want to come over here and do this? Like, you know, little Bonnaroo showcase. Yeah. And it's the week of right. or something or right? something like that. You got to pay a thousand. You got to pay at least it's looking like two grand at least to get over there or just uh, probably, the visas. I would say three grand because of the lawyer fees. Yeah. Three point. grand probably. And then like, and then you, you got to even... pay for tickets. You got to pay if you're, we don't even know if they're going to pay for housing, you know, all this kind of stuff. So like, that's kind of the thing. And I think that, you know, there's all these artists that are dying to get into the American, you know, scene and stuff like that, just because we have such a huge value of like spreading culture around the world that like, it's just be insane. Like it's it just going to cut off a, a big chunk of, you know, all these like, you know, European, Canadian, all these other countries I can name off the top of my head uh, from like coming <laughs> into like any geography. Lesson. I know. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just going to like completely destroy that in a lot of ways for like smaller artists. Again, it's, it's very reminiscent of the indie discussion we just talked about in the beginning that the people who can survive this are already past the point where this isn't like a giant amount of money to them. But like if you're cutting it close and you're razor thin on your margins, this is a big deal. Yeah. I mean like, uh, well imagine you're a smaller artist, you know, you have some following and stuff like that, but you're, you're playing showcases like crazy. I mean, you're in, it's, it's, I don't, a lot of people don't know this, but like when you're, when you're getting signed or potentially signed, um, to like even a, even an agency or a label or whatever, they'll put 
artists will put on these things called showcases. And basically, they're just shows for industry people. It's like a, uh, if you've ever heard the term getting shopped, that's yes. what it is. It's like there's a bunch of people that like. Well, that know, and also if if you have somebody shopping for you in terms of they go get a meeting with somebody and then like, right. they're like, hey, listen to this. That's another this definition. My but like, you know, when they say like literally like a, a record label or shopping or something like that, then they'll literally invite a bunch of people over. And like, I mean, we, we see it all the time in Nashville because you see it in the uh, writer's rounds and stuff oh, like that. 100%, yeah. And that's like one version of shopping where like literally you just get somebody on a stage with a guitar and six people play back to back to back and like, you know, two or three label executives from different places just sit there and listen. Yeah. And, and they're so, like, I want that one. Which is like, one. I get it. I mean, I get it. You know, you have to have visas in place and stuff like that. There's got to be, you know, a value to, you know, actually having citizenship and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, if you're going there and making no money, like what yet was the different like if i'm a tourist and i get on stage you know if i'm like i don't know let's say i'm from germany and i come here and like i play one song like oh we heard you're a musician our friend likes music here you want to play this song on the stage for a minute the homeland security is going to come after me and go hey you owe us 700 dollars now <laughs> you know yeah. what i mean um well i i think too what's unfortunate again like you said smaller artists this is going to impact them the most, you know, but also, you know, you're not going to be able to do anything when you get over here, uh, in terms of touring really, to be honest. I mean, yeah, like right now, but like, what if your artist or your audience was primarily American and you live in Europe or something, right? That sucks because then you have to still come over here. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, and it's not like it's, it's not a good excuse just to be like, you guys should just move over here. I mean, there's they're going to lose the, you know, what their home is yeah, to exactly. get their business here. And that's not, I don't think that should be a necessary thing to succeed in the American market. And it is easier to get into America right now than it is to get out of America. <laughs> so I, I you know, on that. I get it. And it just seems like to me that I, they need the funding here, the visa office and stuff like that. But at the same time, it's like, is this really like if, if they were like, we're going to put a 10, 15% increase, I'd be like, okay, well that's annoying, but I feel like we could deal. But again, this is 50%, you know? Yeah. That's like a the, huge chunk of money in terms of the percentage. You know, I vote to uh, make the a thousand dollar fast pass, the Homeland security fun pass <laughs> where <laughs> yeah, you get to experience just, all the rides. We, yeah. We just, uh, <laughs> you get to go down to the DMV for like eight hours and sit there in the line. And they're like, Oh man, when's the ride coming? And you're just like, this is the ride, you know? Um, <laughs> but, but like, uh, yeah, it's, it's just really bad. I, I, it's getting really expensive. It's the point. That yeah, I'm everything getting costs money. Everything's man. getting really it costs expensive. Money Arbitrators, the postal service using FedEx. Oh, it's expensive. Yeah, and that's usually happens when but, the you economy know, is. Besides that depressing stuff, let's talk about some memes. Let's Colin. talk about memes, and what we mean by memes is just stuff that has a lot of memes in it. Not, I'm not going to go up here and be like, "Did you guys see that meme?" You know, uh, <laughs> but like. That's our other podcast. Uh, obscure no. <laughs> meme. <laughs> right. Um, so Fortnite is launching a new concert series, and it's uh, basically, it's a big deal for two reasons. One, Fortnite has got a lot of viewers from the concert series that are concerts they've done before. So now they're doing more of a formalized concert series, which I'll get into. But also, it's not going to be on any Apple devices, which I'll get into a little bit because it happened a while ago, and we didn't get to cover it just because everything was so busy. Yeah, it didn't Fortnite. But, 
they basically just pieced out from I Apple? will tell you about it. So okay. uh, because of a current legal fight with Apple, the concerts on the game's uh, Party Royale Island will not be available on iOS or Mac devices. Uh, and I'll get into that a little later. Uh, and iOS is so much a bigger deal than the Mac devices, if you don't already know. But... Uh, the first person to perform is going to perform on Saturday the 12th at 5 p.m. And his name is Dom- Dominic Fike. And it will be broadcasted again at 11 o'clock that day and Sunday at 1 p.m. And then he will be performing his EP, What Could Possibly Go Wrong, including Chicken Tenders, which <laughs> I showed J- Joe that song because I went, some other human being has to listen to this song like <laughs> I just did. And the song is perfect because it's a young man's dream lyrically because it's about chicken tenders and having sex. So <laughs> it's dream. like perfect for like <laughs> meme-centric Fortnite and, you know, from young adults to uh bachelor adults it's the perfect dream That's anyway me thanks yeah. Colin. <laughs> yeah <laughs> um so basically there's also two unannounced artists that were performing the 19th and 26th and they're trying to make the concerts an ongoing attraction so uh quote the spotlight concerts will be free to access for any Fortnite player and epic doesn't plan to sell ads or sponsorships for them this is about bringing joy to our players nazar it's like Nazar Epic Nancy-er. Games. Yeah, right. it's Nazir, I think. Nazir Epic Games head of global partnership said, well, we can't get ads on it, so I can say his name wrong. Anyway, uh, <laughs> we want everyone to be able to watch it, and there's no paywall at all, he further adds. Uh, the concerts are going to be produced from a studio in Glendale, California, with the ability for artists in the future to leverage Epic's Unreal Engine to wave in augmented reality effects. Uh, The Glendale studio has artists performing on a 24 by 24 foot stage from now... actually for now from now for now there will be no in-studio audience and epic is adopting multiple covid safety protocols including providing a separate entrance for talent rapid on-site testing and robo cams in the studio uh epic wants music artists to think of gigging in Fortnite as if they were appearing on late night tv shows such as saturday night live said nazir uh, Nazir stated that the artist will receive compensation from Epic and should see a boost in listening. As Nazir says, we don't expect people to work for free, which is a very not normal sentence in the music industry. So good for you guys. <laughs> yeah. um, so let's go into this Apple ban, which happened a while ago. But if I'll give you a little like small deep dive into it. So basically, this is not going to be available on Apple platforms at all because Apple banned Fortnite from the app store along with other apps made by the developer epic games so the ban came after and this is like very reminiscent to when we talked about tiktok just like messing with congress being like what bring it and so epic games basically were like you get a 20 percent discount if you made an in-app purchase directly with Epic Games as opposed to through the App Store. So like you could go on an iOS or a Mac and go, I want to buy this through Epic Games and a good 20% off on whatever you're buying. And this was to go around the 30% pay cut that Apple takes from the App Store. Mm-hmm. So you're seeing how the math works out there is they get a 20% discount and then Epic's pocketing the other 10 they usually wouldn't get. So Epic sued Apple and Google on August 13th, alleging that the, uh, they engaged in anti-competitive conduct by imposing law unlawful restrictions to monetize their app platforms and demand 30% of the revenue from app purchases. And it's seeking a reversal of Apple's ban on Fortnite on the app store. 
Fortnite has about 350 million users, but 160 million of them were on iOS. Uh, so according to Epic, there has been a 60% drop on iOS users since the removal from the App Store. And this is where it gets a little confusing. So I looked this up, and basically, if you want a quick analogy of what it is, it's very reminiscent to back in the day, if you guys ever remember Flappy Bird and how they got taken off the App Store because the creator was like, I'm done with this. Yeah, It's kind of reminiscent of that. So if you never downloaded Fortnite on iOS, then you can't download it. So they can't get any new people or whatever. Uh, you can still play it, but it's like a couple updates behind, but you either had to have it downloaded or ever had it downloaded. And then those people who ever had it downloaded could also re-download it again. And again, the game isn't updated. It's like a couple updates behind. And that's the reason why it can't have the concert app like going on because there's no concert update because they can't update the platform at all because it's been taken off the store. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it, it's, First off, uh, I'm very interested. I I love this idea that he's proposing, Nazir is proposing here, that it's kind of like playing on Saturday Night Live, which I didn't really think about it like that. And I guess it kind of could be because, I mean, you're getting crazy viewership and stuff like that. I mean, it's not that far off akin and you're playing live you know like mm-hmm. they're saying you literally you know do it on a 24 by 24 foot stage and then they add effects to you and stuff like that. So, like, it's very much like a live performance, but it's just a little different because the audience isn't there. Yeah. Um, but it's the same in the sense that your performance is being broadcasted outward. Um, I think that it's just very interesting that, again, Epic, to me, seems to be kind of pulling like a TikTok where they're just like, yeah, just come at us. We're just we're we're going to sue you, actually. And so we don't have to deal with a 30 percent revenue th- cut at all which has come up multiple times in a lot of stories a lot of app developers do not like that 30 percent cut um because it's mandatory because you get it you literally have to bootleg your phones to go off of the google play store or off of the app store to download stuff or you have to direct download it through your computer and that's just a pain in the ass people aren't going to deal with yeah um but yeah i mean fortnite seems to just be continually making moves and just fucking shaking their clout around and being like bring it to these people (laughs) Um, shaking their clout around i like that that's basically what they're doing though like i mean there's like they're so big that there's no other company that can kind of kind of like tiktok was could get away with it in the space Mm -hmm. if that makes sense uh and i'm sure apple isn't fucking happy about this because one they were losing money in the first place because people were just going to buy buy their stuff through the epic game store for a 20% discount and take the 30% cut completely at Apple's garden. And now they're getting sued. So now they have to follow, you know, go against a lawsuit at the same time. And then even then the people who are on iOS spending 30%, most of them aren't even fucking paying anymore. Cause they don't want to play a game. That's four updates away, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, yeah, I, I definitely think in terms of the way I'm viewing, it seems like this is more of a loss for Apple than it is for, uh, epic i would be i'm very curious how this lawsuit's going to end up i don't right now i don't think they're going to win it because i don't think they have enough support to like epic you don't y- think epics i don't win? i don't think there's enough like i think there's support to get rid of the 30 percent revenue but i don't know if there's enough to say that they're monopolizing the platforms but i think the argument can be made but i don't know if it can win in court if that makes sense yeah because like what i'm saying is like i it's true i mean like 
if you if you have a phone right now, have you ever not used the Google Play Store or the Apple you know store and downloaded something? No, unless you bootlegged your phone or took it specifically off of your computer and then put it onto your phone, you've you've gone through that always. So it's it's kind of a mess. I think though it's it's going to be very interesting as a space for and we talked about this a lot with live concerts is that I feel like Fortnite's in the right direction especially with the way covid is going and you know live shows seeming farther and farther away in people's minds of providing unique content that seems like a different thing as opposed to an appeasement of not having a live show. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'd be, I'm, I'm going to be very interested how they do the effects and stuff because I, th- I think this is kind of new territory because we've already, you know, we've done stuff before where it's like, oh, okay, here's your pre-made video for your live screen when you play. But it'd be interesting to be like, oh, we're game developers, so we have an engine that we use primarily. So we're going to use assets from that engine and make it look like Fortnite assets that are for your concert. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's very interesting. And then I guess after that, we can go to, uh, the Fortnite King. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. The Fortnite King himself, Travis Scott has, uh, inked a deal with the fast food giant McDonald's. And I don't know about you, but my Instagram feed is just popping off with this. It is memeable like crazy. Uh, I think it's... I hope we can inform you about this because there's a bunch of people I talked to who like were like, do you know what this is? Like, what's going on with this? And when I first heard of it, I was like, nah, so Joe, fill, <laughs> yeah. fill us in. <laughs> yeah, this is kind of nuts. I'm not going to lie. But um, so Travis Scott inked this new deal with McDonald's uh, with an accompanied merch collection with his cactus cactus jack line as well as promoting his signature meal the core pounder with cheese bacon and lettuce and medium fries uh with barbecue sauce to dip which is basically called the travis scott burger or or the travis scott meal yeah the travis scott meal but just call it the travis scott burger come on but uh merch line the merch line includes a 90 dollar chicken nugget body pillow okay where do i sign up (laughs) 80 to 90 dollar hoodies $48 $48 t-shirts, $25 boxers, $90 nylon pants, $250 rugs. Okay, rugs are expensive, but go I, on. I know, but $44 beanies and hats, $150 jerseys, and $125 All-American shorts, and many more items. This is, this is just breach on the surface of it basically uh scott is the first person to get a collaboration with mcdonald's since michael jordan in 1992 and so the significance of this is both uh this benefits travis scott and mcdonald's um and the power of being a meme and monetizing it can really show how far you can stretch your career so i you know in terms of this is hilarious right this is just hilarious to me you can buy a 90 dollar chicken nugget body pillow i just think it's that you can go up to mcdonald's and realistically go can i have the travis scott burger and they're not going to be like oh that's fucking strange what did you just say yeah Um, (laughs) it's not like a secret menu item right and so like first off let's talk about the burger part because i feel that's very interesting and i think that this you know they mentioned in that article that it's very that michael jordan has been the last one to do it and it kind of to me and i think this is a good thing for their campaign feels like the same thing with michael jordan where it just doesn't feel unnatural and that's a lot that has to deal with you know yeah. celebrity endorsements and so like when you know i first heard that like travis scott had a burger and i hope some of you also feel this way it's just like i was like you know i guess that kind of makes sense 
you know and 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 like if we go introspective on it it makes no sense because travis scott is just a singer or whatever and a rapper and stuff like that and so it kind of makes no sense that they're like here's the travis scott burger but he has like a branding and has positioned himself in the way that his brand is that this makes sense yeah and like michael jordan's did back in the day where it was like you guys want a happy meal you know and so like same way it almost reminds me a lot of like a lot of the shack like stuff Mm -hmm. or like terry cruz with like old spice where it's like okay that makes sense it doesn't feel forced you know because i feel like everyone's experienced a force advertisement where you're like why are you here you know with this product um yeah well do you think too because one of the main reasons michael jordan got signed on was because of his uh ads with kids and stuff like that like his appeal to towards kids so do you think this is kind of the same i think it's a little bit yeah because a lot of uh, we talked about it i think literally in our first episode when travis scott was on Fortnite, it was a really big deal it's i think it's the biggest concert they've ever done and travis scott has really put himself with like the video game community and kind of like this younger generation and stuff like that so i would agree with you but as opposed to like is Michael McDonald's Jordan. hip anymore though? I, like I mean there's still this huge. is a move to keep this hip. Yeah, I mean you know they're still I mean? giant, but like I, I don't know. I don't know if they have the same impact on kids in terms of like happy meals and stuff like right. that. Right. Like, like, like when I, we were kids. Yeah, I mean McDonald's is still a huge giant brand and like one of the I, I think maybe the biggest fast food country or country. <laughs> fast <laughs> it food, is a country. It is a country uh, at this point because of all the land they own technically through all that stuff. But like yeah, I think this is, I mean, there's still people that go to McDonald's and they want, you know, our kids want to come to get a Happy Meal. And there's a bunch of children out there, you know, young kids. And then people are just Travis Scott fans that, for the meme, want to go up to the drive through and go, can I have the Travis Scott burger, please? You know, <laughs> and that's. And it's going to get so old, though. I, I, it it's it reminds a me cringy, a lot of the Szechuan sauce. Yeah. From Rick and Morty, but it's a, it's less cringy than that because uh, the Szechuan sauce got really bad. Okay. <laughs> we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, I think, too, like what's crazy is, you know, when you sign a deal with McDonald's, you sign a deal with the McDonald's country, as we stated, <laughs> in terms of it's international at this point. Like some kids in like India are going to get this. Right. I mean, well, like in completely different countries. I don't know how far the collaboration goes specifically, but like I, especially in America and probably other countries where Travis Scott has reached, I would imagine, yeah, it's going to be out there. Um, But I think that like, it's just one of those, it was a smart branding thing. And somebody was like, man, this guy would actually be good to go with McDonald's. And from someone from an outside perspective, who's not really a Travis Scott fan and not really like a big McDonald's person. Like I, like I literally think it's a good brand deal because I, in my head I go, that makes sense. And that's such an uncommon thing with, you know, brand deals that I have to kind of applaud it in a little way. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, I, I suggest people go check out the merch cause it is hilarious. Okay. The merch. Let's talk about this. I want to, Okay. The, here, here's my hot takes on it $250 for a rug rugs are fucking expensive if you haven't bought a rug so not completely out of there uh, $25 for boxers there are some really primo boxers that are about $25 for like one so I could totally see $25 boxers uh, I think it's okay whatever it would really depend on the quality for me or you know uh some of this other stuff i can kind of see but for me it's personally a stretch uh the one joe mentioned in the beginning the 90 dollars chicken nugget pillow uh it's like i mean that's just hilarious I, it's hilarious but like <laughs> from a consumer 
I feel like, yeah, you would just buy this for the meme. Like, yeah, you 100% you just buy it for the meme. Yeah. I think most of it you would just buy for the meme. Well, you know, some of this stuff I could see people buying because they just think it's like, it's not necessarily a meme. They just think it's like a cool thing and they yeah. want to support Travis. Like some of these t-shirts that are like $48 and even like the eight, especially in like the higher fashion, you know, streetwear thing, the 80 to $90 hoodies. I could yeah, definitely see. Yeah, hypebeasts are going to be all over this. Well, you know, I could definitely see people wearing that and especially even the $150 jerseys, I could definitely see as more of like a commemorative item in terms of maybe if you had a jersey that i bet somebody would put it on their wall like in a frame you know or something like that um but yeah i mean i i don't i don't think it's that out of the question it's definitely for me not like a kanye west scenario where you just have like some fucking somebody spilled something on a white shirt and it's a 400 hundred dollar shirt you know uh but like i i think that the pricing for that is not that crazy. And that kind of shows the power of like Travis Scott and like the meme nature that he's kind of facilitated in some ways. I mean, the man makes serious music, but you have to, he also makes jokes and stuff like that has become partially a meme. And even if you're the most hardcore Travis Scott fan, you have to admit this to a certain extent. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, I mean, I don't think it's that crazy. I think the deal is a good deal for McDonald's and Travis Scott. I think it was well thought out and I think it's just going to get publicity both for McDonald's and Travis Scott as we've both seen in our feeds and around people talking about this. I mean, who the, like it would be weird if like just think about like any other celebrity, you know, right now and unless you got a great idea in your head, I can't think of like one right now that I would be like this would go it would be weird, right? It would be like okay, yeah. uh sponsoring Arby's is Ariana Grande. It's like, what? <laughs> you know, like you just be like, that's fucking weird. That's stupid. But for some, because of Travis Scott's brand, you're just like, that makes sense. You yeah. Um, so, I mean, I just think when I see Travis Scott, I just think adult swim, <laughs> you know, like just like, just that's what comes to mind where it's just like memes. Nothing is serious. Like great. It's just great. Yeah. You know? I mean, a good, good move on his management and McDonald's. Whoever came up with the idea, good move. All right. So the last story for today, talking about our, our place of living. We're in Nashville, uh, but it kind of echoes a lot about what's been going on in live venues. So Nashville actually has just got emergency relief funding from the Nashville Metro Council. They approved a resolution to provide $2 million from CARES Act funding to help keep them afloat, which are the venues, the smaller venues here in town for the next two months. Uh, Quote, the Music Venue Alliance Nashville, which is a group of the National Independent Venue Association members, which are led by Mercy Lounge owner Todd, this is going to be a hard one, O'Hauser and Exident owner Chris Cobb petitioned that the council's COVID-19 financial oversight committee pointed out they basically pointed out to this committee and they went 14 of the 15 venues that are part of our alliance are going to shut down before November if we do not get money. Mm. Um, which is scary, yeah. especially as someone who lives here, but also just to be like, I mean, it, most of the venues here are, are independent, right? But like, imagine even if in your little, you know, wherever you live or whatever, you know, if almost 90% of the venues that weren't like giant arenas or stadiums were like, yeah, we're just going to go away now. Yeah. Um, so they basically, they got it. And then the qualification for the venues is that you got to make less than $5 million a year in gross revenue. You have to charge for entry and you mostly must be used for live music. 
Uh, as O'Hauser says, their intent was to get us a few months operating expenses while we continue to push for state funding and push for federal funding. It buys us some time, which is much needed. The venues have been trying to basically emphasize other types of revenues at the same time that this is going on. So a lot of them are doing live streams and like music video rentals and merchandise sales and like other traditional crowdfunding. Uh, we're getting all these lifelines. We get to see how long we can keep not being open. Five spot owner Todd Sherwood tells Rolling Stone, this is two months, uh, two more months. So it's great. It's a big help, but it depends on who you talk to, how many more months we've got to go. And then adding on, and I've been to this venue and I never know how to pronounce it. So Joe, if you know how to pronounce this name, um, feel free to jump in. But uh, Olivia... Uh, dark Matter. Dark Matter. I always... I never know if it's Dark Matter or not. <laughs> it does it, look like Dirk Matur. It's, it's, it has no <laughs> vowels. So yeah. like I've seen it all the time and I've been in it briefly and I was like, is it Dark Matter? What is it? Yeah. But uh, Olivia Shillaby... Sh- Shibere. <laughs> I'm just going to do all terrible pronuncia- pronunciations of words. We struggle 24-7 when we're operating during normal times. We've used to operate on a shoestring and we're used to working with scraps. So whatever happens with this grant is pretty much just a good, wonderful gift. Um, so, yeah, I, it's a little interesting in our own backyard. Uh, I, I think the most important thing that I'm seeing is that they're emphasizing how this is just a Band-Aid. If they're, we are very grateful for the money, but it's only going to last a certain amount of time for only a certain amount of venues. So it's really going to depend on like how big your operating budget and stuff for all these venues are, how much time you get with this money that you receive. And then on top of that, we're hoping to God that we're going to get, you know, a state funding or a federal funding or something like that. And mm-hmm. it's, you know, I mean, this is, the, I think right now we're really starting to see the venues start to panic and try to, you know, cause I think, I think we had a time where it was like, we went into like immediate panic where we were like, Oh no, what are we going to do? Like all these venues. And they're like, and then we kind of had like a brighter spot where, you know, people got cut. It was sad. But then like the venue venues were like, we're just going to go into other things. We're going to do live streaming. We're going to rent it out for music videos. We're going to try to get more merch sales and we're going to try to make like a GoFundMe or something. And it's going to be okay. And now we're at the end of that point of like super optimism where it's like, eh, the bill's got to get paid by the end of the month. And I have no idea how it's going to work. Um, yeah. I mean that and your workers too. Right. I just want to point out dark matters. Olivia Scabelli, I think is how you, I I said it so wrong. Yeah. Olivia. um, Sorry. Yeah. Sorry, Olivia. (laughs) If we're both wrong, we apologize. But, uh, yeah, I mean this, uh, this stuff is, um, I mean, it's important, especially locally here in Nashville, uh, because it is music city here in the South. It's the epicenter of live music. Um, and to have, like a lot of these beloved local venues just go under. Which but is- the other thing I was going to mention is this also emphasizes like other struggles that other businesses and other regions are. And I bet, you know, part of the reason I think personally that this is, you know, getting up is this is like one of the major calls of Nashville. I mean, if you're in a smaller town, that's not necessarily like a music town. It would almost, in my opinion, be impossible to try to get this funding on a local level, yeah. you know, for your venue. Well, 100%. And this is like part of Nashville's identity. Mm-hmm. So that's like why they would go and save it. You yeah. Know? It's uh, important to everyone here, you right, know. Right. So. And so like, you know, I'm happy for them. 
but again, like I'm saying, it's a Band-Aid. It, it helps in different amounts for different venues. And there's other venues out there that are also really suffering. And since their you know, town isn't music central, then like they, they're, they're not going to get help unless the federal government or the state government jumps in. Yeah. Um, and, you know, we've talked about a lot about like Europe and all that kind of stuff and what they've done. But it's been very different in the United States. Uh, I've seen a lot where it comes to music where it says first to close, last to open. And that's kind of what's going to happen with a lot of these venues is they're just going to be struggling. And yeah. Well, a lot of, you know, we talked about Europe opening up. Uh, a couple episodes back, I think, but now they're shutting down again. Yeah. So well, it's the thing with that though, what I'm referencing is like when we talked about, you know, the British UK plan and division and it was like on a federal level, you know, mm-hmm. they're trying to get it and we haven't seen that, you know, we've just seen like, you know, obviously the cares act and stuff like that, which goes to a generic, you know, here's relief money for everything, but we haven't seen like a specified, like here's to the live entertainment industry only you know like here's here's what congress is doing about live entertainment specifically we've seen you know amy klobuchar i think is the only one and they have a committee of it over it but other than that like we haven't nothing federally has been like this money is only for music industry people that are going to be suffering for a very long time because people are going to want to go back to shows or we can't physically do it you know yeah um so yeah i mean it's been rough but uh yeah, I took you on the coaster of sad meme to sad again. Um, so I hope <laughs> you enjoyed it. Thanks for the downer, Colin. I always like to end on a downer. It makes everything real. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, what you been listening to this week? Uh, man, I gotta. I've been jogging so much, so um, I've just been like listening to a lot of like old favorites and stuff. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, it's kind of. I've been doing a big mix of stuff lately. Um, I got. I, again, I talked about my local age thing the other day, uh, but for some reason on my drive, I got it recently into them, like probably early last year. Uh, but I've been, for some reason, running for me is like perfect with Jamiroquai, which I love Jamiroquai, which if you don't know what Jamiroquai is, it's like a, uh, it, it is a 90s band and they were very like funky disco kind of vibe. If you've ever seen Napoleon Dynamite, the song he dances to called Canned Heat is a Jamiroquai song. Um and so, like, that can give you a reference if you don't know. But, like, basically, yeah, it's super, you know, disco vibey kind of stuff, very upbeat. Uh, and, uh, yeah, it just sounds really good. I've, I've shown Joe some of the live videos. Yeah. And uh, I some of the things are a little weird because I got into them and... They like the they're all white most of them I think and then like the but the singer the main singer is white and he wears like a a neon like a crystallized Native American headdress in like middle of the nineties which I get was like okay well you could probably get away with this now but I'm really glad to see now that like from the older footage or newer footage I found that seems to have been faded out <laughs> yeah because i was like oh, although man. The, the first image you search when you search that band is is him yeah it's like headdress. and their greatest hits album has that headdress like as the middle centerpiece hmm. of like it and i'm just like ah oh, come on like yeah know. um so what have you been listening to joe um i've been listening to declan mckenna's uh newest album zeros uh non-stop it was actually recorded and produced in nashville so that's uh really cool to see uh, especially from like a UK artist coming in to do that specifically in Nashville. Did he get here before the 50% visa increase? Or? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> it was recorded a year ago. Apparently. Okay. So um, listening a lot to Frank Ocean uh, the past couple of days um, and uh, King Cruel. So kind of slower 
tempo stuff for me. Um, and yeah, getting rid of the optimism. That's yeah, <laughs> just just depressed, <laughs> just depressing music, but I love it. But uh, yeah, that's showbiz, baby. It's just depressed. Thanks for listening to That Showbiz Baby Podcast, your all things music business and media podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at Showbiz Baby Pod, Facebook and Instagram at That Showbiz Baby Podcast, or email us that showbiz baby podcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Thank you.